EFS 20. Did we finish the book? No. No, we didn't finish the book. We're close, though. There'll be one more episode and we'll get it done. We're enjoying the process and, look, punching on for three hours to finish it. We check out when we check out. When the flow stops, the flow stops. And I think you guys have been enjoying it from what I've seen on the downloads. And thank you very, very much for that. I don't have too much more this week. Look, we're going to stick with Detoxify. I love it. All right? I don't know why every time it, I like Detoxify. That's about it. Uh, remember on Patreon, Unlocking the Code, you want to swing a few bucks our way, that'd be awesome. Facebook, Instagram, Unlocking the Code. Give us a like, give us a follow. You know the review stuff. As I say, I, tr- I do it and I try and do it for every podcast that I listen to because I know how much it helps the algorithm. So if you give us a hand with that, that'd be awesome. Episode 200 coming up. I think we're just going to let it pass by with not too much pomp and ceremony. I think actually the last EFS will be episode 200. That's it, guys. Look after yourselves. Be kind, be cool, stay disciplined, hold the line, and we'll talk soon. Cheers. Suffocate with suffocated, they be making all bubble. Subtle is the cuddle of the snake that squeezes. Hate to see this matrix seizes. Maybe we just need to pull the plug. Drain the system, poison out of body. You been probably overdosing most your life and never noticed. Overloaded, rub the cups and come with dosing. No one's up and no emotion. Nothing goes in this dimension here. We work all day and it's there always a thinking crystal clear. Everything we do revolves around the dollar count. It's all around us, all the ground will fall down. It knocks you out, get off the couch. It's all think out the top. Spouses got your pops and call the council. Got no ants evolving out in small amounts. It's all we have is all planned out for our defeat. Water down the modern man and modern love. So we have no intuition of a vision that it's all corrupt. Ooh, I know we read our vision. If I be always in forgotten, we're sick of our thoughts and live in it. Box another school. Find all of those outreaches forgotten. The beaches to walk on the tree tops to modern all pieces of part of a school. Find out it's been making you take, but didn't face it with criticism. Awaken your inner visions. Slow down. You better leave your belongings, you'll start receiving your callings and be unleashing from bondages. Bringing it out, and draining it out, every day is about a way to get out. Illusion portrayed every day in our face. We do what they say, they use us away. Pollution can take, conducing our brains. We choose to escape, to do what they make. You wear it on your face. I can see the burden on your shoulders, heavy. And it's getting unrelenting. You're frowning from how hard the world strains you with stress. It depresses, confess. It's just a system that's a hope that puts you in scenarios you never chose. It's not your fault that every known element in your life is in control. Everything but not your soul. So this can be some therapy, some psychedelic clarity. Don't fight between polarities. Go where it will not go. Slide between the barricades, it's nice to be aware Things just kinda like some kerosene, lighten up the world It's a poisonous system, you didn't invent this prison So who'd you be when it's all out? Everything you think needs to go now Defeat the people that hold down You from beating, you blow out your brain cloud Become new and escape now, take route 86, escape now Gotta lay down, everything you learned, everything you know Everything they ever told you, been a poison
oxygen from your soul. Bringing it out, draining it out. If it is about a way to get out, our minds are polluted. Find a solution, life illusion. Portraying everything in our face, we do they say. The use is a way, pollution can take. And do it to our brains, we choose to escape. Do what they make, do what they make. People beyond. People beyond. Waking up to the people we need to be. 2004. Beat by Cumulus. Great electrical energy. I feel, I feel connected to all living things, to flowers, to some special spirit, and even to some great unseen living force. Living force. Happy blast off. Bl- blast off. Yeah, fair enough. Happy, Happy new-, new Year. Go, on, mate. We're back. Good, mate. Good to be back for 23. Positive 23. vibes. Positive vibes, mate. Positive vibes for 23, mate. Moving forward. Yes. Moving forward. That is a very good... I reckon that's true, man. I think 23... It's a moving year. It's a moving year. There's, we're gonna, I can, we're gonna I can sense I can sense a lot of chaos currently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and movement is possible yes, during chaos. Absolutely. You know. Yeah. Slip through unseen, absolutely. some might say. Old boy. Well, mate, we're continuing with the book. However, I did want to um, look, you know, bow down to Marty Gaza. And look, the, the Serpent Bros do a good job. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Soraya as well from Where Did the Road Go? Yeah, it's a good uh, side. Really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Speaking about the UFO phenomenon, the UAP phenomenon, yep. right? And I think it was an interesting perspective because we're so deep on that menu we're so deep in that mm. hole right we've listened to all those ufo episodes we've yep. listened to every joe you know what i mean like whatever's out there yeah we've heard every perspective that's right right and they were sort of talking about something uh what do you say ephemeral almost right yep that the paranormal the whole it's all the same it's all yeah it's all the same yep just varying abilities right so i suppose my question after listening to that episode is where are you at with it now? Because obviously on on the on the other side of it, you have got the you know the uh, what are they calling nuts it? Nuts and bolts. The nuts and bolts UFO stuff that's coming yeah. out with Corbell and all that sort yeah. of stuff, right? So where do you sit? Where do you sit after? Well, I've been so I've been wondering for a while actually. Um, who who is part of the psyop? of the new release of yeah. the new disclosure yes the Who's, new disclosure because yeah. because any any good thing gets hijacked they always do so well as, could, as they said on that episode the the government's infiltrated all the ufo groups since the yeah, 50s right exactly it's, it's not That's exactly right. so yeah it as far as anyway so i've always thought i don't know corbell's always given me a bit of a slimy feel Look, you know I, mean? I, I, we've all, we've both had that opinion. Yeah, he's, if we're honest, he gives me the ick. Yeah, for some reason, and I don't know what it is. Mm. It's just is what it is. So I'm happy to put it put Corbell, um, as like part of the the soil. Yeah, you know, like is he a willing participant or does he believe what he's doing? But he's yeah. getting soil. You know, all that sort of jazz. I don't hold him accountable. No, I just think he's part of it. He's part of the dissemination of information yes i would say that's yeah he's a he's a, a vessel right because through the, he's what he did with the czar and obviously through george knapp i mean yes. then you've got to bring george knapp into the picture but are those guys also in that same vein yeah 
those those media personalities yeah. that are reporting. Yeah, well, on they're it. in it for the yeah for the story. That's right? right. That's that's how I feel. Like Nap was a reporter, so I feel like they're in it for the story. So where wherever they get their info, you know, as long as there's a a good story there with with bones in it, yeah, they'll sell it yeah. sort of thing. So look, but some of the footage has been pretty trippy. Like there was some stuff like literally in Maryborough, like up you know four hours north of us yeah last weekend yep and it looked like one of those balls with the cube in it you know what i mean yeah right like one of those light balls there was two of them dancing around yep. like this is footage on the pages on facebook right but but is that nuts and bolts or is that the paranormal like you yeah know is what that I'm a, is that like, an interdimensional craft no, what, we're what class do you put it into because other if that's the case if we're seeing that is it is that necessarily yeah, which which part of that does it fit into? It could fit into both. Is well, all this is the, this is the this is the question, isn't it? What is those things, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, it. You know, if are they drones? Is it advanced tech? Look, I think. I think all of a sudden we're going to get advanced tech. I think that's going to happen. Yeah. Um. However, what are those things? They could be interdimensional, right? I think, and you know, they those boys echoed some thoughts I've been having about this for a while it's like hang on a minute if these things are infiltrating air defense zones mm. there is no fucking way in the world that whatever military is not tracking them and yep. keeping an eye on them right yeah. there's no way there's no. And, and they have oh and, and like this oh we just oh we don't know what they are either right yeah. but, you know so i think it's I, again mate I feel like we've said this a lot on this show. It's, a, it's I think it's a D all the above scenario, right? Yeah. I think some is maybe advanced tech, mm-hmm. interdimensional stuff. Like, why not? Yeah. Right? You know, you got all the stuff from Skinwalker. You got all the, you know, a lot of the Yowie type experiences, right? You know, like that's that was a crazy. I'm going to come back to that this year. Actually, I want to dive down there a little bit more. However, it could be all the same. Right. Mm. No, it, I agree. Is there a race living under the ocean? I I wonder. I wonder. No, look, without any any further like information beyond uh Marty's theories mm. and um Soraya's theories, mm. I it hasn't changed my perception in terms of locking down onto like joining a tribe. Yeah. I'm I'm still just of that anything's possible. Yeah. We've got to see where it goes. Now, yeah. I I understand if I had 40 years like Marty had in, in the, the industry, yeah, in the rabbit I'd hole. be jaded from certain, like like he said about changing from a real nuts and bolts kind of person into his theories now Yeah, um, because of his exposure. So with 40 more years up my sleeve, would I be in the place where they are? Maybe. Mm. Maybe if I've ticked all those boxes and that's the only direction left that's might be where i am but i don't know as much as them and haven't had the experiences yeah. like them so hence why i they're they're at that level above where it's yeah, like there's different I, levels you right? are just another one of the theories of what i'm sort of taking looking in, at and because you know, yeah. we could go back to like sumerian yes. gods like go from there through in Absolutely. terms of like the sumerian yeah. creation story yeah, that we're doing we in efs at. yeah so we can go ancient aliens yada 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 and i definitely us. think they found ancient tech I, i've got no doubt about that yeah. like you know the randall's bendor motor that's coming out is apparently a 
manifestation of ancient tech, which actually is a lot to do with some of the power devices we were talking about last year, which we're going to come back to as well. Yeah. And this is a thing too, right? So Sumerians, yes. Visitors from outer space, maybe. Us from the future, maybe. Well, also um, us attracting the attention attention with the atomic well, bombs yep. sort of thing. Like you could see that. These are, yeah. these are lines. These are all theories yeah. that sort of tie together along mm. the same story arc. Mm. Um, so I'm not willing to eliminate any of them just yet because mm. because there's still also an element of entertainment to them as well. Yeah, as well as research, mm. it's, it's it's entertaining to, to go down yeah. people's um theories and explore that, explore that. And I think that's you know that's unlocking the code, isn't it? Right? It's yeah. we got to be open that's to all perspectives, is. right? Exactly. And and I think, but yeah, very valuable. And it's interesting to observe the modern disclosure and yeah, I wonder what this year brings. I'm going to talk to Grant Levacum and he's going down the, he's part of a documentary series, right? Uh, that he's doing, um, which is pretty cool. I'll find out the date for that actually. But yeah. It's interesting, man. An ever evolving topic because the, as I say, like there was weird things in the sky in Maribara last weekend. Yeah. So it's like, there was, I've got a picture of a one of the, another one of those looked like a tic tac ball thing in mm-hmm. front of an airliner outside Sydney, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, how do you? What the other question is then? Why all of a sudden are they just happening, right? That's the other question. Are they are they being reported more? Were they happening before? Like, you know, what's which way? Yeah, which where's way the, which it, which is the perception the line? Yeah. Where does the line fall? Mm. Like, are they happening more often? Or is it is like it cyclones and everyone cameras. thinks that they're getting worse and more often and shit? But I don't start. <laughs> you know, there's reports that say otherwise. Don't start on the... Look, we could talk about that. No, I don't think we do. Let's jump into the book, man. Let's keep let's we've, keep going down the rabbit hole. We've meandered long enough. So we ended, we were talking about weapons. We were talking about uh, the melted castles and the different types of energy weapons that potentially could have been used uh, within the story, okay? I remember. You remember? We're somewhere in Scotland. Scotland. In the northeast. And you know what we discovered? We discovered... 859 feet above fucking the ocean. <laughs> I don't uh, even... I, I think it went a bit Irish. No, Castles of Glass. Is that where we were? No, no, we're no, here. we're further down. The Shattered Desert is where we were. Well, mate, I'll crack on, eh? 23, let's go. Right up. Let's do it. The Shattered Desert. Exhibit B. We present one of the strangest and more unusual mysteries of ancient Egypt in the form of the great glass sheets that were discovered in the Libyan desert by Patrick Clayton, a surveyor for the Egyptian Geological Society uh, survey. Clayton was driving among the dunes, which is a virtually uninhabited area of the Great Sand Sea near the Saad Plateau in Libya just north of the southwestern corner of Egypt, middle of nowhere, I'd sound, by the sounds of it. Yeah. Uh, when he was startled by the sound of his tires crunching loudly on something in the sand. When he alighted, when he alighted from his vehicle to investigate, I never used to see that word, used like that, uh, to investigate the sound, it turned out that he was driving on what appeared to be large pieces of mostly beautifully clear, yellowy, greenish glass. It was soon discovered that this stuff wasn't just any ordinary old yellow glass either, but that it was a, in fact, an ultra-pure type of glass consisting of a staggering 98% pure silica. 
It has also been realised that Clayton wasn't the first person to come across this field of glass and that various prehistoric hunters and nomads had obviously also found the now famous Libyan desert glass before him. The LDG. The same glass had been used to make knives, very sharp-edged tools, and other objects that have been found in the past. It has been reported that a carved scarab of LDG was even found in Tutankhamun's tomb. There was all sorts of stuff found in Tutankhamun's tomb, man. He had boomerangs in there. Apparently, there was gold from Gimpy in there. Like, he had all sorts of stuff. Yeah, man. He had some good shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> probably someone else. Yeah, yeah. Probably some stuff. Robbed it out of the tomb previous. Yeah. Uh, which clearly indicates that the glass was also sometimes used for jewellery and had obviously been there for an extremely long time. The glass had, in fact, often been seen before through its use in some artefacts, but the actual location and source had been hitherto unknown until discovered by Clayton in 1932. An article written by... Giles Wright that appeared in the British science magazine New Scientist July 99 The Riddles of the Sand states that LDG was the, is the purest natural silica glass ever found and that was easily in the excess of a thousand tons of this ultra pure glass lying strewn across hundreds of square kilometres of bleak uninhabited desert in Libya Some of the chunks have been reported to weigh as large as 26 kilograms but most LDGs found in smaller angular pieces looking more like weathered glass shards from a gigantic broken yellow bottle so where on earth did all this stuff just come from? How in the world did it get there? According to the article, the LDG, pure as it is, does contain some defects, tiny bubbles, white wisps, and inky black swirls. The whitish streaks consist of refractory minerals such as cristobarlite, but the black ink swirls are mainly iridium, an extraterrestrial element that is commonly associated with some type of impact, such as meteorite or comet. The generally accepted theory is that the glass is most likely created by the searing sand-melting impact of some sort of cosmic projectile, though no one is quite sure what. That's interesting. I wonder what... I mean, see, I haven't heard of the Libya desert glass, so I no. wonder where it is now, I mean, 20 years later. Probably mined. Yeah. It's so pure in silica. Yeah, yeah. They probably mined it. Yeah, using it for electronics, I would say. Yeah. Uh, but again, there are some serious problems with this theory. For example, where did such an immense amount of glass shards come from? And how did they so widely get so widely dispersed? There is also the perplexing fact that there is no evidence of any kind of any impact crater whatsoever anywhere in the vicinity, either on the surface of the desert or detected by microwave probes that have been made beneath the ground by ground-penetrating satellite radar. Furthermore, LDG is incredibly free of impurities. In fact, far more so than any other known type of glass and actually appears to be much too pure to have been really the result of something as destructive as a meteor comet collision, both of which are very catastrophic and extremely messy events. That's, <laughs> that's one way to put it. Modest way to put it. Yeah. When viewed from a geological perspective, the general vicinity around other known impact craters, such as the one in Waba in Saudi Arabia and Henbury in Central Australia, for example, a positive livid all about with all manner of debris, chunks of exploded rock, bits of iron, traces of rhythm and other known types of fragmented meteorite material. No such debris can be found anywhere in the vicinity of the Libyan desert glass sites, though some slight traces of rhythm are indeed found within the glass itself. And just to make matters even more perplexing, LDG is actually concentrated in two areas of the Libyan desert, not just one. One area is large and oval-shaped, while the other is more like a strange circular ring of about six kilometres wide, that is about 21 kilometres in diameter. It lies in the desert like a huge glass six kilometre wide racetrack 
while the wide circular center of the rings remained totally devoid of the glass. And what do you suppose would cause something like that to appear in the middle of a vast desert? It really doesn't seem like it could be a natural occurrence in any way, shape, or form. Another theory is that there may have been a soft projectile impact, that is, an earthbound meteorite, perhaps 30 meters in diameter, yeah, and did like a... Um... Can I just... Yeah. Can you just pause there for a I second? Can, for sure. Where you're up to? Yep. So... Did you work out what he meant by six kilometers wide and twenty kilometers in twenty-one kilometers in diameter? The rings, the rings were six kilometers wide, and twenty, and the whole circle of them was twenty-one kilometers, kilometers in, in diameter, diameter yeah. in total. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's like an impact. Yeah, yeah. Soft projectile. So I think he's saying like an airburst, maybe it's thirty meters of diameter, did no prior to actually impacting with the Earth's surface. Yep. Say about 10 k's above this desert, thereby creating a searing blast of hot air that melted the sand beneath it, just as such impact is theorized to possibly happen in Tunguska, and we saw it in Russia a few years ago as well, when it blew the glass out. Um, in the city. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the Tunguska event, like the LDG, still remains a complete mystery. Now, Randall might have some stuff to say about that. Um, yeah, Randall's got a pretty good handle on the uh, Tunguska event. No. Yet another theory holds that perhaps a comet passed close to Earth and scorched the desert sands with the friction of its passing. Jeez, that'd be a close show, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, or perhaps a meteorite glanced off the desert surface, leaving a glassy crust only a slight crater that was soon filled by the sands. But the problem with both these theories are the two known areas of LDG. Are we to suppose that there were in fact two of the cosmic projectiles that were travelling in tandem? And even so, how would it have been possible for a projectile to melt the outside of the ring, but then still leave the center field completely intact and undamaged? There is an interesting article that appeared in the in a British journal called Nature in 1952 entitled Dating the Libyan Desert Glass Dating the Libyan Desert Silica Glass. In it, the author Kenneth Oakley said, pieces of natural silica of up to 16 pounds in weight occur scattered sparsely in an oval area. I need a drink, hang on a second. Sippy, sippy. Measuring 130k north to south and 53k from east to west. And in the sand sea of the Libyan desert, this remarkable material, which is also almost nine, pure, 97% silica, relatively light, 2.21 uh, on the SP gin scale, whatever, whatever that is. You can look that up, Jamie. Uh, clear and yellowish green in color, it has the qualities of a gemstone. It was discovered by the Egyptian survey expedition under Mr. P.A. Clayton in 1932 and was thoroughly investigated by Dr. L.J. Spencer, who joined a special expedition of the survey for this purpose in 1934. The pieces that are found in sand-free corridors between north and south dune ridges, about 100 metres high and 2 and 5 k's apart, these corridors or streets have a rubbly surface, rather like that of a speedway track, formed by angular gravel and red loamy weathering debris overlying Nubian sandstone. The pieces of glass line this surface or partly embedded in it. Only a few small fragments were found below the surface, none deeper than about a metre. While undoubtedly natural, the origin of the Libyan silica glass is uncertain. In its constitution, it resembles the tectites of supposed comic cosmic origin, but these are much smaller. Tectites are usually black, although one variety found in Bohemia and Moravia and known as Moldavite, is a clear deep green. I've seen the Moldavite. It's pretty, that's a pretty stone, that Moldavite. 
Bolivian silicon glass has also been compared to the glass formed by the fusion of sand in the heat generated by the fall of a great meteorite. Reporting the findings of his expedition, Dr. Spencer said that he had not been able to trace the Libyan glass to any source. No fragments of meteorites or indications of meteorite craters could be found in the area of its distribution. It seemed easier to assume that it had simply fallen from the sky. It would be of considerable interest if the time of origin or arrival of the silica glass in the sand sea could be determined geologically or archaeologically. Its restriction to the surface of a top layer of a superficial deposit suggests that it is not of great antiquity from the geological point of view. On the other hand, it has clearly been there since prehistoric times. Or could it be entirely more plausible to assume that the vitrified desert was actually the result of a war fought some time in the ancient past using atomic fusion or plasma weapons? The idea gathers more weight as we begin to examine further evidence. Interesting. That is interesting. So he's really pushing home his idea there of, of ancient ancient battles and wars. wars well i mean the melted castles actually so it was interesting the other day i think there's a uh, an article on the page on facebook about the melted castles of scotland or there's some pictures i found I've, i posted something on there um a little while ago but yeah i, I had a better look at some of those castles like high definition photos and they for sure look melted man. like something's yeah, melted right. the stone yep uh dragons yeah well it could be mate it could be dragons as well right Maybe. Maybe. Right? Do you want to have a read, mate? No. Can you keep going? I'll just finish your oh. smoke first. Sorry, <laughs> man. I didn't, I didn't realize you were coming to the end of your I didn't know. I did, well, I didn't know either, mate. We're in New no, Keep going. Keep going. Punch all right. on. All right. All right. Hang oh, on. Don't worry. I'll give you a big break. <clears throat> the Radioactive Skeletons of Pakistan. Exhibit C can be seen in a totally baffling discovery that was made by a Soviet archaeological team investigating the ancient sites of Harappa and Mojadaro. Mahenjadaro. You should know. That. I know. I thought, what do you think I was going to In Pakistan. When the scientists had excavated far enough to reach the street level of Mahenjadaro complex, they were surprised to discover a great number of skeletons lying unburied in the streets of the town and sprawled out as though they had suddenly been caught in some great disaster not unlike those caught in the eruption of Mount Vesuvius that were found at Pompeii. Many of the Harappa and Mahenjadaro skeletons were of people holding hands or walking down the street. It appears that many of them had just been going about their daily business at their time of death. Evidence shows that the settlements of Harappa and Mahenjadaro were wiped out entirely. The walls of Mahenjadaro also bear signs of vitrification, and since there is no evidence of any volcanic activity in the area or any signs of an impact crater, the question again arises. To what can attribute this math, death, and vitrification of stone. It's not a real good picture for the screen. That's okay. The skeletons at these sites are estimated to be thousands of years old, even by traditional archaeological dating standards. What initially puzzled scientists was that, firstly, the remains showed no obvious signs of trauma or violence that could be attributed as a cause of death. And secondly, if the bodies had just been left lying in the streets, then why were they in such good condition? Why had they been devoured or at least mutilated by wild animals? How could it be that these bodies had just been left here, alone and completely untouched, long enough to be covered by the dust of time? However, further investigation revealed an even more startling discovery. The Harappa and Mahenjadaro skeletons are also amongst the most radioactive remains ever found, revealing radiation levels equal to those that have been recorded in corpses that were recovered from Hiroshima and Nagasaki. 
At one particular site, the Soviet scientists recorded radiation levels from one corpse that was over 50 times greater than normal. Again, a nuclear atomic war in ancient times would adequately account for such high radiation levels. There's, there's but what about a, a solar flare? Well, hang on. There's just one problem with that last statement, and that is um, half-life. Yeah. So the radiation deteriorates over time. Mm. So, like, to compare it to Hiroshima and Nagasaki, like, they would have had to start it off with a lot more radiation because it would have dropped over the thousands of yeah, years buried in the dirt. Yeah. that they've been there. Because mm. the radioactive isotopes break down. They have, like, a half-life of X amount of hundreds, thousands of years, whatever it is. Yeah, it is. I can't I don't know what the numbers is. are. But you are right. You are right. Um, so I just have an issue with that, yeah, that last little section there. But I mean, radiation levels from one course were fifty times greater than normal. Yeah, could he just be? Ex- could they just be exaggerating it? Um, like it, it's still they're still radioactive. Like I'm not doubting that. Um, but but yeah, yeah, what is the actual just, numbers on it? Yeah. Comparisons and stuff. I find it hard to believe that they're they're the same as but is it is it another look i mean one of the things we've come to realize looking back through these stories is that even like back then back in the 1800s they they had a a half a theory that the brain was hydraulic because that was the technology of the time right there's like there's these interesting concepts that we have that our technology at the time it's like okay yeah so we understand radiation like that yeah to be from an impact right What else could cause that level of radiation? Could a meteorite impact? Were they saying there is no impact nearby, however, or volcanic stuff? Yeah, but it doesn't, like an air burst, doesn't mean it had to actually have impacted. True. Like there's True. the other, I can't remember the name of it now, but there's another um, Egyptian city up by the Mediterranean, I believe, and it's fucking like, they thought it had been like sacked. Yeah. But, It'd have been destroyed. Everything lays in this, like everything yeah. looks like it's been knocked over in the same direction yeah. from like a possible fucking airburst. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's the new theory coming he's, through. He's now. in the room again. He's going to talk about residual radiation levels. Uh, a word must also be said on the estimated age of these skeletons. Whilst it's true that remains have been radiocarbon dated to around 2500 BC, it must be remembered that carbon dating requires measuring the amounts of residual radiation levels that are left in any organic object however when a radioactive event like an atomic explosion has occurred in the vicinity of the site the remains that are found will contain stimulants amount of radiation due to the event and thus appear to be significantly younger than they actually are if the ruins and the radioactive skeletons found at harappa and Mohenjo-daro were indeed the result of such an event in ancient times then the true age of the site may be anyone's guess that's just a little tidbit lot of questions there like i mean again there's another little topic that i would put on the list to go and do a bit of a deep dive in again you know like what happened to the radioactive skeletons from hanjadara yeah i mean that's uh that's an interesting one all right brother you know take out oh tech dots oh do you know our tech dots gone missing man is it yeah it's disappeared i don't know where it went look i suspect the fairies may have something to do with it however um really that it went back to the spaceship Maybe. maybe, maybe it was maybe it encapsulated a soul. <laughs> All right, tectites. An enigmatic exhibit D is 
is the large areas of desert that have been found strewn with mysterious glob- globules of glass known as tectites. Tectites are occasionally discussed in geological literature, though not very often as they tend to pose more questions than answers. They are blobs of hardened glass. And one possibility is that they come from meteorite impacts in most instances. But evidence shows that in the majority of cases, there is no nearby impact crater. Plus, there is also the problem that many tectites contain traces of non-earthly elements. Another possibility is that tectites have a terrestrial explanation. Only that theory is almost never explored as it involves ancient war and the use of atomic or other weapons capable of melting sand. The debate of tectites was summed up quite well in an article entitled The Tectite Problem by John O'Keefe, published in Scientific American in August of 1978. If tectites are terrestrial... It means that some process exists that which soil in common rocks can be converted to an instant, in an instant into homogeneous, water-free, bubble-free glass and be propelled. Sorry, had to pass the mouse. <clears throat> Thanks, man. I completely forgot about it. You get to the end of the page, I'm like, oh, you can't go any further. Thousands of miles above the atmosphere. If tectites come from the moon it seems to follow that there is at least one powerful volcano somewhere on the moon that has erupted at least as recently as 750,000 years ago. That's Bruce Fenton's work. Tectites. Tectites, yep. Oh, yeah. Neither Neither possibility is easy to accept, yet one of them must be accepted, and I believe it is feasible to to pick the more reasonable one by rejecting the more unlikely. The key to solving the tectite problem is an instance on a physically reasonable hypothesis and a resolute refusal to be impressed by mere numerical coincidences, such as the similarity of terrestrial sediments to tectite material. I believe that the lunar volcanism hypothesis is the only one physically possible and that we have to accept it if it leads to unexpected but not impossible conclusions that is precisely its utility to cite just one example of the utility the lunar origin of tectites strongly supports the idea that the moon was formed by fission of the earth okay boom he just it was just like now listen listen this is what it has to be (laughs) that's on my friend that's a first that's a first in in this book Mm. He's not normally so pushy. Mm. Tectites are indeed much more like terrestrial rocks than one would expect of a chance assemblage. If tectites come from lunar magma, then deep inside the moon, there must be material that is very much like the mantle of the earth. More like the mantle than it is the shallower parts of the moon from which the lunar surface basalts have originated. If the moon was formed by fission, of the earth the object that became the moon would have been heated intensely and from the outside and would have lost most of its original mass and in particular the more volatile elements the lavas constituting most of the moon's present surface were erupted early in the moon's history when its heat was concentrated in the shallow depleted zone quite near the surface 
during the recent periods represented by tektite falls. The sources of lunar volcanism have necessarily been much deeper, so that any volcanoes responsible for tektites have drawn on the lunar material that suffered least during the period of ablation and is therefore most like unaltered terrestrial mantle material. Ironically, that would explain why tektites are in some way more like terrestrial rocks than they are like rocks on the lunar surface. There is, of course, one other explanation for the existence of tektites, and that is that they serve as strong evidence of nuclear events in our past. As much as the theory disagrees with the accepted academic version of history, the evidence is just far too compelling to simply ignore without adequate investigation. You see what he did there? He sold us a dummy. He's like, no, it's the moon. And hang on, no, it's not the moon. Mind me. Yeah, because he'd already mentioned ancient nuclear events. Yeah. And then he went away from it, buckled down on the so on the moon. And I mean, I've been studying. I skipped back. I volcanoes on the moon. I I don't know. Right? Where do you? I mean, where would you sit with a volcano? First, I've ever heard of it. Ne- never heard of it to this day. No, but and surely wouldn't you? You would see. You like, would, well, wouldn't you think it would be on this side? In terms the, of like that's the side being the pulled the on. Moon. Yeah, that's right. So I don't know where this volcano is meant to be because we've looked at the moon quite a lot, and there's no, there's no fucking dude. Everyone's looked at the moon, moon quite yeah. a lot. There was a fucking volcano. I think we'd all yeah, know that it randomly shoots stuff at you every now and again. Like, <laughs> yeah. I think we'd fucking know. Yeah, we're we're it's your turn. Hang on, boat. Yeah, like I'd never heard of that before. Yeah. Volcanoes on the moon. Now, could it be on the opposite side of the moon? Because, like, let's say. With the gravity's pulling it towards the Earth. Well, does that cause fissures? Like, if you're pulling the surface of the Moon towards the Earth, mm. does that cause fissures at the back where it, it splits open? So, is there volcanoes on the backside that we can't see, and it spits it out into space, and then we orbit through it? Mm. Possibly. Oh, there you go. See, Just thinking I, I outside like, the I, box, don't like it, man. You what? You've got to throw that perspective out there. But. Well, this there's spaces on the dark side. The well, the thing is, this is not where Max is going because the harpoon of Horus, where we know for yeah. sure that he's going into ancient weapons. Yeah. So exhibit E, further documentary and pictorial evidence in the form of ancient texts describe a fierce war that raged between the two Egyptian deities, Horus and Seth. As mentioned by Sitchin in the Wars of Gods and Men, Temple in Descriptions at Edfu in Egypt report that during his battles with Osiris, Horus launched into the air in a nar, a fiery pillar. These vehicles are described to as being elongated, cylindrical, and equipped with short fins near the rear. What does that sound like? It's a rocket. The bulkhead is said to have contained two eyes, which constantly changed color from red to from blue to red to black to blue. The vehicle produced vapors and trails from its rear and emitted rays from the front. They even drew a picture of it for us. Funny how the ancient depiction of a NAR seems to look just like some kind of rocket. Funny that. Funny that. During the battle, Horace was hit by a bolt of light from the flying vehicle of Seth, while he himself flew about in the winged disc of Ra, 
Horace is the, is then reported to have struck Seth with a harpoon, which the texts describe as a weapon of 30. Weapon of 30. There is picture that exists from Edfu depicting the harpoon of Horace, which strongly suggests that the device was perhaps a multiple mm-hmm. a multiple warhead missile consisting of I was thinking that like a Patriot missile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they split up into multiple small ones. Yeah. Of a large warhead that broke open to reveal two smaller multiple warheads, the nickname Weapon of 30, the device received suggests that each inner warhead possibly contained 15, 15 yeah. smaller devices, perhaps by sheer coincidence. A very similar device is a yeah, model naval warhead missile that is manufactured by McDonnell Douglas, which also happens to be called a harpoon. That's the ones that come out of the submarines. Yeah, right. Mm. What, underwater or the ones out of the top? The ones out of the top. Ah, okay. And the and the and the destroyers as well. Yeah. You, you saw them in that movie Battle Battlefield or Battleship. 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 Yeah. Yeah. The ones where they they pop out and they got the wings on them. Then uh, they, then they yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Mm. I like it. The mysterious Sinai, Exhibit F is a huge and very mysterious plane that can be found in the Sinai Desert. The tales of creation, ancient wars, and great annihilation by sophisticated weapons told by the ancient Sumerians. Talk of a great destruction that was wrought upon an ancient spaceport that is said to have existed in that vicinity and that was utterly destroyed by advanced weaponry. If such an event really occurred, surely some trace of such devastation would still be found. And indeed, such I've heard of this. Man, such can still be seen in the area. Such can still be seen in the area. I'm wondering you say you've heard of this. Was this not mentioned this was in EFS earlier? Like that's where the Sinai Desert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You were you were reading a lot about the Sinai uh peninsula. Yes. And stuff like that. So yeah. So it was just yeah, I think that's where I've... No, when I used to know the Israeli militarized zone, what the thought that came to me then is that I know that there's a base outside Israel that's got all these ancient ruins and stuff on it, and you're just not allowed to go there. Oh, darling. That's the remilitarized zone. You right. just They just put a big fence up, and it's like, can we go and look at the ruins? No, mate. No, you can't. Go away. <laughs> okay, well, if such an event really occurred, surely some trace of such devastation would still be found. And indeed, such can still be seen in the area presently known as the Israeli militarized zone of the Sinai Peninsula. The area contains a vast triangular plain that consists of normal colored sands, but appears black from a distance because the ground is literally covered with scorched and blackened rocks. The extent of the contrasts on this plain that continues to baffle scientists was not fully realised until satellite pictures were taken of the area, which only succeeded in adding to the mystery. Yeah, so it's the bottom bit there. Yeah. Little map of Tassie down the bottom there, mate. Get out your fine china. Sumerian texts tell us this plane was the location of the ancient spaceport, Mm -hmm. the Eden, and the five other vital control centres that were completely obliterated in the final conflicts of the Anunnaki by seven weapons of terror 
and it is here that we find a huge blackened scar on the planet's surface that can be likened to nowhere else on Earth. Now, what do you suppose would cause that? I mean, obviously, earlier on in the in the series, we were talking about the Vimana and that as well, right? Because it's like there's so many stories of these ancient battles, yeah. right? You know, things battling in the sky, yeah. right? Gods, there's... gods of battles, yes. Pre pre monotheistic god, yeah. Gods battled, even though we had like fallen angels and shit as well sort yeah, of in, in, in the in the current sort of ruling religion mm, but like pre-christianity that, yeah, yeah. paganism thor and odin yeah, and exactly yeah and greek, gods, greek roman god, gods roman gods roman gods sumerian gods, gods egyptian yeah, gods yeah, yeah, all, all those yeah. ones all, all stories gods. all stories yeah, they were always bat- they were, they were battling they'll battle yeah yeah 100 yeah. it's funny s- funny that 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 part of the story disappeared yeah facts are stupid things <laughs> <laughs> that was former US President Ronald Reagan. So we're we're knuckling down into the chapter thirteen, the Grand Deception. We have discussed ancient texts, and we have seen an abundance of evidence to support them. And still, we have only really scratched the surface. Some of the conclusions have staggering implications for mankind, and yet the information is being disregarded. Is there indeed a global conspiracy in place to keep this information out of the public eye? You Such... would have to wonder. Do you wonder what the motivation would be. Yeah. There's there's great stories there. Such things are invariably denied. But before we continue on our quest, we will put the puzzle aside for a brief moment to discuss this ph- phenomenon. Naturally, and as I previously stated, I'm well aware that ever that whenever anyone mentions the word conspiracy in our modern and supposedly free society, especially in regard to the government or the scientific or academic communities, they are sure to attract a storm of criticism. They are, of course, always at the ready to discredit anyone suggesting such an idea and create a media circus around them to distract any attention away from the actual point they're trying to make. In these cases, it is always good to rule a, a, a good rule of thumb to be wary of anyone who relies on invoking their academic credentials to support their case, because it invariably means that they have no valid arguments of their own to present to the table so they can only resort to waiving credentials and launching personal attacks in such a way that it allows them to ignore the actual evidence that is being presented. Of course, the media is only too happy to back them up and publicise the tasty bits too, if need be. As briefly discussed in the first chapter, conspiracies actually do happen quite often, and in the case of our history, the evidence of an entirely different course of events is now simply far too overwhelming to just be dismissed. The irony of it all is that most of it is right out in plain view. The good news is that the participants in the conspiracy, keeping the facts suppressed, are quite obvious. Their overall plain and daily tactics 
become predictable and transparent once you have acquired the necessary skills to spot them. Isn't it in this age well? <laughs> <laughs> Although it's not always easy to penetrate the smoke screen of propaganda and disinformation to get to the real agenda hidden beneath. However, the bad news is that the conspiracy is global and there are some very big players involved who have worked very hard to get to the current academic mindset deeply ingrained in our psyche. Of course, the Persian Gulf region has been kept a war zone for so long now that it's kind of hard to get in there to do much more investigation. Another 15 years after this was written. <laughs> Perhaps after they have bombed all trace of any ancient ruins out of existence, they will let people back in to investigate. In the meantime, our government seemed to work very hard to provide as many distractions as many distractions in people's daily lives as they can. This is because if you can keep the population living on the edge all the time, they end up caught up with the rigors of daily modern life, getting to work, paying the bills, looking out for the kids, worrying about the economy, college fund, the groceries, the neighbors, terrorists, God, taxes, fine print, the environmental and keeping up with the Joneses that they don't really notice or often care about looking at the bigger picture to see what's going on around them. Let alone what may have happened in the past. Well, Max, well said, mate. And uh, look, I don't even know what to say about that <laughs> after after the last three years of existence well, in the modern every, it's age. All you know still I mean? prevalent, it is that's, exactly that's all, like it's just the, the rabbit hole's gotten deeper. That's what we need to remember. Yeah. Nothing's new under the sun. No, that's right. The cover up in motion. You ready to have another go, mate? I can have a go, mate. All right. I'll let you jump in. All right. <clears throat> the cover-up in motion. There are a great number of scholars who have attempted to bring some very substantial and worthwhile information to public knowledge, but have all been publicly vilified whether their information was credible or not. I mean, I just want to mention, if we're going to stick on the topic that we're on and not divert to the last three years of chaos, the fact that the uh, Ancient Apocalypse series on Netflix got labelled white supremacist is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard in my life. Right, I don't even know where to start with some of that stuff. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like apparently though, there's someone coming on to he's going to challenge Graham. Yeah, but they can't nail down a date. Because right. Okay. What are they going to do? Spend a year researching Graham's material and go, oh no, he's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like there's something here that we can't deny. Yeah. Uh, no, look. Half half the reason I think why no one wants to debate Graham is because, well, for starters, Graham and Joe are obviously friends. Mm. So you're coming in pretty hot there. And then also... Oh, you're in a hostile environment. You're in a hostile environment. Whether, however, middle of the road, Joe'd want, Joe wants to be like, we're here to hear both sides, you know, whatever, yeah. to mediate it. Yeah. You know there's a bias there. Yeah. They can't help it. Mm. So, like, there's that. Um then there's like the fact that if these people are archaeologists or whatever, yeah, are they necessarily very good at fucking speaking? No, they're probably not. You know what I mean? Yeah. Are they are they at Graham's level? Yeah. 
So Graham's that's the issue. There, these I heard some of this thing. I don't know what I was listening to the other day. However, it was like these archaeologists are annoyed because you know us we're contributing to the whole. However, you know, you know, Uncharted X and all these other guys getting tens of thousands of views on their pages, whereas an archaeological paper would be lucky to be read by a thousand people. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and the evidence they're presenting is compelling, and they, and there's got to be. If nothing else with all this stuff, there's questions that need to be asked to at least have an honest look at some of the answers, man. You know, like, I mean, that's the, but I think you're right. Uh, and I think Michael Shermer learned as well, right? Because he came in pretty hot with Graham and Randall and he was sort of put on his heels a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Um, so they've seen that before and then you've got to, you know, yeah, you, you come in, it's, it, it's a pretty... Plus, you got to think about depending on how he comes off, mm. how he's going to be viewed mm-hmm. for the rest of his life. Mm. You know, it's it's there's if a lot loses, of reputation at stake there. Debate, it's it's exactly, you know, like obviously his backers wouldn't let him lose. You know, like after the debate, yeah, they would be twisting, mm-hmm. twisting the moral of the story. So yeah, it would be hard to know. Sort mm-hmm. of like unless it was super clear. Mm who won the debate mm-hmm. because they'd both twist twisted in their own ways. That's true. That's true. Uh, where were we? Publicly vilified. Uh, even some people who have just been doing their job have had their lives reduced to tatters for not being prepared to lie in the name of science. Well, yes, Max, that is, that is very true. Uh, fucking hell. Uh, however, it has become apparent that the academic community also has a place in a, in place, a very distinct set of double standards when it comes to the free flow of any information, academia considers scientists to consist of highly educated, well-trained and intellectually capable people. And they deduced that they, and only they are able to assimilate and process scientific information and then make the correct critical distinctions between fact and fiction, the reality and fantasy and right and wrong. While we, the uneducated and unwashed public <laughs> is very simply deemed to be incapable of functioning on this higher mental plane of superior in- intellectuality. The current academic community sadly has this of demeanor, intellectual superiority permeating through it deeply. I need the mouse. It has oh, been. <laughs> I thought you were dancing. No, no, no. I'm like, dude, I'm trying. <laughs> You know, like the Hawaiian hula dancers. Just doing something for the camera. Uh, It has been that way for some time. It is an attitude that it is seemingly veiled by meticulously planned and carefully and orchestrated public relations. To the public, science and progress can always be seen as byproducts of each other, but unfortunately such is not always the case. It's just cleverly made to look that way. In order to work as a functional institution in an open and democratic society, science has to operate within the same parameters as society at large. Science, by its very nature, needs to be open to debate, argument, and counter-argument. No, mate, you've got to trust the science, man. No, but... You, get, you can't... If we don't do that, then we've <laughs> lost the idea of science. Exactly. Well, I'm just saying, you know, yeah. you've got to trust the science, man. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, climate science, 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 everything. The science is just the way, man. Yeah. It's funny how, like, science, there's, like, the scientific method. Yeah. But then we use this word science that really just means shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> Smarter people than you have looked at That's this. That's right. It's science, it's man. It's science. You don't know what it is. Yeah. Uh, like... There's no place 
for unquestioned authoritarianism and ego in true science. Turns out authoritarianism made a bit of a comeback, mate. Uh, yet it exists and in full view. Uh, even Alfred Wegener, the German meteorologist who first proposed the theory of plate tectonics back in 1915, was the subject of some very spiteful attacks and has his discovery buried for some 50 years because he dared to bruise various academic egos. Einstein was first thought a fool. It is unfortunate now that we see the same unscientific approach applied to many other fields of study, just as it's become the norm in modern archaeology and anthropology more and more often we see situations where scientists quite simply refuse to prove the theories they present to us, yet they appoint themselves as the final arbiters of the facts, while the real information is hurriedly suppressed. This is often done in full view. We have seen, for example, the trouble that was caused for the farmer who discovered the Ica stones in Peru and the extraordinary efforts made to discredit the significant research and substantial geological testing done on the Sphinx by West and Shock, even to the extent of banning them from future Giza research. Graham Hancock has also been ferociously attacked for his book Fingerprints of the Gods, in which he put forth several theories containing a great deal of merit concerning a common link between many ancient cultures in the past. Links that point to one much earlier civilization preceding theirs, one that they had all had some contact with. His theories contain some extremely valid arguments, but as usual, academia could only wave their doctorates and insult the work without even being able to present any counter evidence to back up their own claims. While Hancock's book actually contained a substantial amount of validating research, and take the quite high-profile case of Dr. Virginia Steen McIntyre as another fine example of the academic bottom line. Well, Hancock's still copping it, man. I mean, that's the thing. Like, he's been at the front lines, dude, for 30 years. Yeah, what was this? Did we work out? 2006? Yes, yeah, 456, somewhere yeah, in there. Somewhere yeah, somewhere there. Yeah. Somewhere in that era. Yeah. McIntyre was a geologist who worked for the U.S. Geological Survey in the 70s. She was sent to an archaeological site in Mexico to date a particular group of artifacts. To conduct the test, she used state-of-art equipment and even backed up and confirmed her results by employing four different methods used in the testing. But her findings in all the tests were just way too astonishing for her peers. You see, the project's lead archaeologist at the site had been expecting a date of about 25,000 years or less for the artifacts. The McIntyre's results produced a date of 250,000 years or more. The problem was the figure of 25,000 years or less was needed to validate the accepted Bering Strait crossing theory, and so the lead archaeologist dismissed McIntyre's finding and asked for a new set of tests. Dr. McIntyre was then asked to retract her conclusions and present the team with a more satisfactory finding, but she refused, saying the tests she had already conducted were most definitely correct. Excuse me. Since that time, Dr. McIntyre, who is a very talented scientist, has found it extremely difficult to get any of her papers published and was dismissed from her teaching position at American University. Her case aptly illustrates just how far established scientists are prepared to go to safeguard orthodox tenets. And it would appear that ruining a person's life to preserve the academic status quo, as in the case of Dr. McIntyre, who had literally studied for years to obtain her credentials and had produced accurate results in a test, was certainly no cause for concern. Old school cancel culture, man. <laughs> yes, nothing new. Nothing new. There was also an amazing case in New Zealand where the government even went as far as enacting a new law preventing the public from entering a site that was considered to be particularly controversial and the issue too sensitive. In this bizarre series of events, 
we can see quite well that it is not only the academic community that is concerned with protecting the orthodox views that have been presented to us. This particular controversy first erupted around a site that was located in the Waipua Forest in New Zealand. Excavations at the local location had amazingly revealed evidence of an ancient non-Polynesian culture once existing on the islands that far predated the Maori. The Maori people learned of these findings before they were officially released and were not at all happy about them as they considered to be infringement on their heritage. Yeah, no, they ate the dudes that were there, man. They, <laughs> that's what happened. Uh, they gathered together a spokes team and proceeded to complain bitterly about the results to the New Zealand government. However, the public soon got word of what the Maori people were up to. They also complained, but of course the government denied the entire affair. The outcome of the original meeting when the complaint was made by the Maori, however, was an official archival document that is still in existence today, which actually shows that an embargo had indeed been placed on the Waipua site by the New Zealand government. This archival document actually demonstrates the New Zealand government's clear intention to withhold vital archaeological information from the public through legal means for a period of 75 years. They like that. They like that, don't they? In his book, Ancient Celtic New Zealand, author Mark Dutre says that he is very concerned about the issue. He believes available artifacts were removed from the site, proving there was indeed an earlier culture existing which preceded the Maoris on the islands are now also missing from museums. Where are the ancient Indo-European hair samples, wavy red-brown hair, originally obtained from a rock shelter near Watakare that were on display in the Auckland War Memorial Museum for many years? Where is the giant skeleton found near Mitimati, Dutra asks, and with good cause, as the disappearance of these artefacts and any of these sorts of occurrences are very real attempts to defraud the world out of its true heritage and factual history? The case of the Tukla Markham Desert mummies, which were found in Western China, is another fine example of this hidden agenda in scientific attitude. In case you missed it, it all went down in a now all too predictable fashion. The remains of an unaccounted for and previously known Caucasian culture were unearthed in the Tukla Markham area in the 1970s. What was discovered at the site were the remains of blonde haired, blue eyed people that apparently once lived in pre dynastic China. The arid desert environment had also preserved the mummies very well. All the specimens that were recovered were dressed in colourful robes, boots, stockings and hats. Even though there are a number of Asian bodies that were found buried inside the Caucasian mummies, but beside the Caucasian mummies, the Chinese were not at all pleased about the discovery and, and greatly downplayed the enigmatic find. A writer for National Geographic magazine, Thomas B. Allen, commented about the poet Pottery Shard, about a pottery shard that he had found at the location which still bore a fingerprint of the potter who had made it. When he inquired of a Chinese scientist who was present if he was able to take the fragment to a forensic anthropologist for investigation, the Chinese scientist then asked him if he would be able to tell the fingerprint whether the potter was a white man or a Chinese man. Allen replied that he wasn't sure that the test would show either way, but maybe he would have to see what the forensics guy said. The response to the Chinese scientist was to quietly pocket the fragment and quickly walk away. Yes, there always seems to be a numeral man of things that get in the way of anything but orthodox scientific discovery and disclosure. It's just the same story over and over again, isn't it? You know what I mean? Like, uh, Unfortunately, we are seeing governments and even many peoples around the world now viewing such archaeological evidence of ancient races as a threat to ethnocentrism more and more. Such a notion is, of course, ridiculous because the, to acknowledge the existence of an ancient civilization does not any way detract from the achievements of any subsequent civilization that may have risen in the same place. It does, however, prevent people from claiming to have built monuments that they, in fact, didn't, in the case of the monuments at Baalbek and Egypt. But let's face it, folks. If the Egyptians really did build the pyramids way back then, they would be able to do it now. 
and they or anyone else for that matter can't do it now. So it's quite reasonable surmise that they didn't do it then either. Well, the thing that with all these sites in South America and Egypt, we already know this, right? The old, the newer the stuff, the worse the, the worse it gets. It doesn't get better as time moves forward. It gets worse and like significantly worse too. You know what I mean? Yeah, and we're another two and a half ish thousand years on from that, so. Yeah. It's got even worse now. Mm. I think that's a little bit of a throwaway statement from Max about them being able to build it now. Like, we could build some of that stuff now. No, but he he's he's saying the Egyptians could. Mm. It's like it's a bit of a stretch. Yeah, windows of time. Windows of time, my yeah. friend. Uh, where are we? To but track... the point still sits there. Sorry, man, to interrupt. Right. But the point still sits there that yes, the older stuff was better, mm. which points to the fact that maybe it came from an. Previous civilization. Previous civilization. They were trying to uh, emulate yes. the work. Da, 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 da. As we already noted, the pyramids are a source of immense national pride for the Egyptians, and they would simply hate to have to admit they didn't build them. But the thing is, someone from that area built them. You know what I mean? It just That's the whole point, too. It's like someone who lived there built them, right? Uh, even though the obvious truth now that has been long since proven is that they were well known, at least back as far as 4000 BC, as they've been found to be depicted on clay tablets and stalae found from that period. Yeah, some of the Sumerian stuff, and there's other, some other stuff there that there's the, the uh, there's been depictions of the pyramids. Hmm. Yet another remarkable and very well documented instance is the case of Michael Cremo, uh, which again is a very good example of just how far the academic community is prepared to go to suppress quite valid information. Cremo's highly controversial book, Forbidden Archaeology, which is fascinating, uh, very good book discusses numerous examples of ignomatic ancient artifacts, such as those mentioned in Chapter 2, all of which have been ignored and all which prove beyond any shadow of a doubt that the antiquity of modern man far exceeds the time frame that is presented to us in orthodox chronologies. Cremo's book was extremely well-researched and presented some very substantial arguments, and so in '96, NBC used some material of the book to feature an excellent TV special entitled The Mysterious Origins of Man. However, when the NBC aired the presentation, the reaction from the academic community was like a shockwave. It's it's misinformation. <laughs> In a seething mass of abuse, the NBC literally inundated with letters and calls from IRAP members of various faculties accusing the network of deception and calling the producer a fraud. Still others called the whole program a hoax and a sham, claiming the airing of it was a lie to the public. Graham just got all of those things said. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but because the evidence displayed on the program was so damaging to the depiction deception that academia was intent on perpetuating, merely complaining was not all they did. They actually attempted to force NBC not to run the program a second time. The NBC simply ignored them and aired it again anyway, and so a group of scientists then took the most radical step imaginable. In their fear and desperation that people may actually believe the findings reported in the TV special, they gathered their trusty doctorates together and presented their case to the federal government, formally requesting that the Federal Communications Commission step in and ban the NBC from ever airing the program again. I mean, look at the balls you got on you. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. this is the way it is, and we're not even going to talk to you. We're just going to go straight to the top. Yeah, man. And you don't have to. And you, and you don't have to just believe me. This is all very well documented. A letter that was written to the FCC during the affair by Dr. Alison Palmer, who is the president of the Institute of Cambrian Studies, is also quite revealing. 
At the very least, the NBC should be required to make substantial primetime apologies to their viewing audience for a sufficient period of time so the audience clearly gets the message that they were duped. In addition, NBC should perhaps be fined sufficiently so that any major fund so that a major fund for the public science education could be established. <laughs> public science education, what on earth is that supposed to mean? Freudian slip, maybe? And seriously, they actually want to fine a television station for airing a scientific theory because it differs from the orthodox tenet and fine them to the extent of a, that a major fund can be established? Isn't that possibly a little extreme? Beside, I thought that schools and universities were supposed to incorporate such things as science into their curriculum. So then it really must be questioned what they actually exactly they intend to do. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Only that's the first one, man. That's the first one. Yeah. It's been a rough night. Yeah. I haven't been smooth myself. No. Been a well, bit jerky. Well, we, we're first time first, back. First time back. Yeah, we're rusty. A big break. What exactly they intend to actually teach at such a public service. So I actually, but Jesus. Wow. Wow. Public science. We might be nearly the end for tonight, mate. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> I'll have another go and then we'll see what we reckon. Yeah. Or are we to assume that there is a difference between science and public science? Well, yes, there is, mate. You must trust the science. We, we, they are science, man. Uh, it seems pretty obvious that such a centre would be merely a venue for displaying neat tricks and orthodox theories and be far more involved and concerned with teaching people what to think rather than how to think. These actions by academia against the NBC represent a very real attempt to impede com impede commerce and a blatantly visible infringement of free speech and an obvious attempt to open the censorship of a free and democratic intellectual discourse. Can you imagine the reaction if the world and anyone tried to suppress any information that is presented to us by orthodox scientists or academics? The reaction will be one of united outrage from all quarters, people, scientists and governments. There are endless amount of these blatant moves to stifle valid information. I could possibly fill an entire book with case histories really similar to those that I presented to you. All right, we might just leave that there because I think he's just he just goes on about that for a little while longer. Because um, obviously, I'm reading this and I'm like, we just survived the biggest psychological experiment and mm. deception in in the history of man. So you know, yeah. at NBC canceling a program. It's more fry man now in 23. You know what I mean? Like, it happens, dude. Exactly. <laughs> I'll take it from here, brother. You'll take it from there? Yeah, mate. I'm we'll moving to history. a mosaic of history. Because the real facts kept so well hidden by the powers that be, getting to the real truth and trying to piece together all the pieces, hints, myths, legends evidences and texts and then separate the true facts from the enormous amount of disinformation that is circulated can sometimes be an extremely daunting task but eventually as new evidence comes to light a coherent picture begins to form and some realities can be gleaned it has been abundantly shown through the discussion so far that an incredible number of enigmatic artifacts do actually exist that can only be explained by accepting the reality that the people of ancient times did in fact possess an advanced scientific knowledge and the history that we have been presented with by academia is completely wrong. The main objective of this book so far has been to provide information to the reader in order to illustrate the point that in regards to history, things are not all what they seem and from looking at the previous evidence, we can at this point safely deduce the following points. 1. 
It is un- it is an undeniable fact that the very first civilization that existed in our records possessed very detailed astronomical, astrological, and cosmological knowledge right from its very inception. That such knowledge can only possibly be discovered through the use of advanced science, and we have amply demonstrated the impossibility of man ever coming up with such information as procession of the zodiac through his own devices in ancient times. It has also been abundantly demonstrated by many scholars and authors that the correlations between the structures, temples, alignments, and numerical references in the myths and legends from a great number of vastly different ancient races, coupled with the nature of the myths and legends themselves, all undeniably point to a common link in our distant past. Two, we have seen geological and fossil records displaying indisputable proof that it is a fact modern man existed contemporaneously with prehistoric life forms that lived apparently millions of years ago. Yet, at the time, discovered irrefutable genetic evidence proving beyond doubt that the essence of man, the human genome, is no more than 200,000 years old. We have also seen the very same genetic studies provide evidence of the vast differences between man and primates, proving beyond oh, itchy eyeball. Wow, that's a new one out of left field. Proving beyond doubt the fact that Darwin's theory of evolution, of evolution is essentially flawed that man could never possibly have evolved from primates through evolution on its own. And we have now even more recently witnessed the discovery of an entirely new species of miniature humans, Floriensis, Mm -hmm. further further confounding believers of both Darwin's theory and religious creationism. Poor old eyes are getting a bit dry. Mm. We have also demonstrated evidence of genetically manipulated plants that have existed all over the earth since ancient times. Can we go, go, let's go point for point. Yeah, right here. Three, this information has had the tangible effect of providing credible evidence to suggest that the dinosaurs did not in fact die out 65 million years ago, but survived a great deal longer. We have in turn discovered quite recently that dinosaurs were warm-blooded creatures more resembling birds and not the slow-moving reptiles they were once thought to be. Four, Indisputable evidence now recognized by scholars and theologians alike has also shown us it is an absolute fact that all creation stories stem from the one ancient account, an account that has now been demonstrated to in fact be a vividly detailed narrative of a series of dramatic celestial and genetic events, the details of which were first recounted by the ancient Sumerians. Amongst others now with the research, uh, five, Modern scientific and astronomical data now parallels this Sumerian story to the of the creation of our solar system inscribed on clay tablets thousands of years ago. It has also been openly admitted by scientists that the data received from the Voyager spacecraft showed us that everything we thought we knew about the cosmos before that point was entirely wrong. Yet by way of comparison, we have seen that the ancient Sumerian accounts adequately and satisfactorily explained every single enigmatic aspect of our solar system right down to the eccentricities of Pluto's orbit, the sideways rotation of Uranus, 
the asteroid belt and the existence of the comets and their elongated and retrograde clockwise orbits. Six. We can also see in these tales vast evidence that suggests a detailed knowledge of still other information that we are still now dis- discovering, such as DNA. We have also had it made clear to us by the Sumerian account there is yet another still yet unknown planetary body in our solar system. And this information has now been confirmed as recently as 2005. Even more of the Sumerian accounts are being backed up by modern scientific data. Even the enigmatic face on Mars and its nearby ruins is mentioned in the ancient Sumerian texts. Interesting fast forward where the the face on Mars is a little bit but there's definitely some interesting stuff coming out of Mars. And as far as <laughs> choking goes, <laughs> got bones in it. Yeah, the um, Nibiru, they do know, they reckon there's something out there, but I don't think they've actually pinpointed its location. I don't think they know where it is. Well, they're not telling us where it is. Well, uh, there's there's the, whatever the belt is, out like that Pluto kind of belongs in. Yeah. This is what was str- why they struggle with like Pluto and that for so long because there's a gravitational force out there mm. that they can't account for. Yeah, the balance. This, yeah, yeah. This yeah. is this is the other the wobble. Well, and this is the other place where like the whole um um twin suns sort yeah. of theory comes from as well. Yeah. Sort of thing because they're trying to account for this gravitational pull from outside of the solar system yeah that they can't account for mathematically it seems to be changing yeah seven it has been demonstrated that these texts also provide a six thousand year old documented reports and pictorial evidence that the pyramids existed even in ancient sumerian times adding noticeable details like the mentioning the enigmatic sealed ascending passage the lack of remains within the strange and twisting well shaft of the great pyramid all are adequately explained by Sumerian texts. We have discussed how this time frame is still further supported by geological evidence, proving it to be a fact that the Sphinx is at least 10,500 years old, further attesting to the existence of the far greater antiquity of the Giza site. We have then shown that in Egypt, actual texts exist that explain the processes involved in the synthesis of hardened limestone, amply just demonstrated that these methods do in fact work, indicating that the pyramids were most likely cast in a manner of similar to concrete. Yeah. Yes and no. I'm not I'm not sold on that yet. We've moved down the path since then, Max. Yeah. Uh no, I don't know. I don't think so. It has also been shown that it is quite possible to soften stone through the use of common plant extracts in order to build megalithic structures like the ancient Mayan temples. Definitely, definitely. We can see that the practice is even still performed in modern times. Uh, and the doctors making stone idols. Ancient texts have told us of ancient water treatments and refinery plants in South America, and we have... Lo- Hang on, mate. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going the wrong way. <laughs> My bad. And we have located ancient enigmatic structures at the sites that contain complex networks of sluice tunnels made from smoothened mica that are perfect for the task, and the true purpose of these structures has been abundantly proven by authors such as Zachariah Sitchin, which is interesting. Number eight. That was a wordy one. It was a wordy one. Number eight. No, no, not so bad here. I was just looking down to see where nine was. It's not too far away. We have also seen it is a fact that megalithic ruins do exist on the seabed in various places throughout the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans. 
proving the reality of sunken cities and global cataclysms, and even recently found the traces of an ancient global alphabet. We have viewed artifacts from all over the world that prove it is a fact that ancient man had machinery capable of manufacturing precision made devices of intricate complexity. This has been reinforced by the discovery of ancient texts that continue well-documented, highly detailed, and credible accounts of flying machines. Texts that serve no religious or moral accord, but serve only as technical manuals. These texts have been corroborated by artifacts at ancient sites that present pictorial evidence of such machines in tombs and on stele from antiquity. That's those says that um, those episodes we did on the Vimana and the technical details back in the earlier this. Like, there's yeah. look back through the EFSs to look at those. Really interesting, and for sure, it was a technical manual. It was a flight manual. That's what yeah. it was, right? Hundred percent. Nine. We have further discussed the Sumerian and Indian legends of great wars that were fought in the past using incredible weapons, and then seen evidence of such wars in radioactive skeletal remains, numerous vitrified ruins, the enigmatic plains of blackened plains of the Sinai and the strange Libyan desert glass. We have further seen that such weapons are absolutely possible through recent advances in our own sciences. 10. We have heard talk of an ancient race who built cities along a route leading to a spaceport. We have located and seen all the sites of these ancient places and also discovered an immeasurably ancient 88 by 44 meter platform made of 300 ton blocks surrounded by a retaining wall containing three 800-ton blocks of hewn stone. These are well beyond our current transportation capabilities, at the very site where the spaceport landing pad was said to have been located. And pretty much still today, I think what I got out of that one in this through this process was I hadn't thought about the road that you're going to drive an 800-ton block up. Yep. And where's the road? Hmm. Like, what does it take to be able to sustain that weight up a hill? Yeah. Right? How did they do that? Yeah. That's what I got out of it when we read this one. Um, 100%. Definitely took me down a, a different path. 12. We were also quite adequately shown that the people of our ancient past already knew all of these things and that their science had evolved to such a degree that their science, their religion, and their entire way of life were all intertwined into one entity. We have, in fact, seen indisputable evidence that everything we thought we knew about our history and everything that is being taught to our children in schools about this as fact is quite simply wrong or highly suspect and very debatable, to say the least. I can't disagree with any of those words. I actually totally agree with that. Yep. Not only that, but this information is actually quite well known to academia, but despite that fact, things that are known to be as fallacious about our true past are still being presented and taught as absolutes. So the real question becomes why? Why are we being lied to? Why are the continuous attempts to keep information suppressed so intense and dramatic? Why is the real information so coastly hoarded and then so viciously guarded? Why don't they want anyone to know the truth? Is it just because they think the truth is too shocking for us? Or are there more significant reasons? Hang on. Go back. Hang on. 11. We've demonstrated the physical evidence on both Earth and Mars that exists of, yeah, of a dramatic <laughs> celestial impact in the past. We have learned that important lesson demonstrated by Comet Levy Shoemaker 9 in the comets in that comets actually do hit planets. We have seen evidence 
that both gradual and cataclysmic geographical changes occur on Earth and been made abundantly aware that polar reversals are an absolute scientific fact. Well, the, we, we just currently learned that the poles are um, converging, didn't we? Yeah, I don't know if you want to do this next one. No, no I don't. I, no, I mean, as in, um, I don't know if you want to do this next one. The politics of control. Will you be able to contain yourself? Are we going to wrap it up there for the night, I think we're going to wrap it up, mate. I think so. I think we're going to wrap it up. I think that was good enough. I don't know how long we've been going for, but it's enough. Well, surely there can't be much because he's summarizing. Yeah, he's summarizing. So surely the next episode, it will literally just be the last of it and then a a chat about how we feel. Mm. Look, I might read the politics politics of control. Yeah. Because given the world that we exist in, we mm. might not need to read that, right? Oh, I might yeah. be able to summarise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? That so might, might be a good idea. Yeah. Well, we've got to, we've got to change tact. Well, we can't take 22 let's episodes. Let's scroll down to... past politics of control for a second. How much more have we got? We're not doing any tonight. Of hobbits, dinosaurs, and alphabets. So, yeah, it's only just that little thing there. So, I reckon yep. I'll probably just, we'll probably just skip over that. No, but how much more of the book have we got? Uh, 259 pages, but I think it ends at 240-something. Right. Mm. See, I really thought there was less than that. I should have looked. <laughs> mm. I felt like he was wrapping up. No, no, no. There's still, there's still, yeah, forgotten, oh. forgotten codes. Oh, but forgotten wait, codes. But wait, there's more. Forgotten is. Do you want steak knives? Yeah. We'll throw in a free set of steak knives of that too. Yeah. So yeah, we're not done yet. Yeah, no worries. Plenty more to go. Oh, people. hang on a minute. Here we go. Here the we elongated go. orbit. There it is. There it is. Yeah, so no, we're not we're not done yet. So we'll just we'll just wrap it up, wrap it up there, and uh, yeah, I Grab think listen, trail man, mix. I think that and was a bottle cool. of water because yeah. we're going on yeah, a fucking going, journey. Yeah, we're going again. Here we go again, guys. Well, well listen, that was really cool, man. Uh, welcome back to twenty three. As I say, a little bit rusty, but I think we got through it. Oh, it was rough. Yeah. Oh, the the, the hum in the background. It's four billion degrees and two thousand percent humidity outside the shed at the moment. So the aircon's the on. aircon's on. So, so we do apologise for that. I will mention it in the intro. There's a slight static there. Well, it was good to Suck get into it, it. The thing is, man, is that yeah, I'm done for today, but I can't wait to sit down again. I want to know where he's going. We did it. It's always you got to get the first one out of the way, man. Yeah. First yeah. one in the bag. Awesome, brother. Well, thank you very much, sir, yet again. Thanks for having me, brother. Uh, Thanks to everyone for listening. That's it. Until next time. In this life and the next. Cheers. Just want to go again? Let's do it. Go again. All right. I know you. Been here before. Surprises settle the score. I know the darkness deep inside. Reckless rage, poison pride. I know the anger. I know the pain. through I know you I know you Wow 
better.